Welcome back to the Deaf Duck Podcast, where I, Caleb, document my journey with Unity 3D from absolute beginner to plus one absolute beginner, which is still a beginner. Haha, <laughs> math jokes with the absolute. Anyway, my primary motivation for this podcast is really to keep me motivated within the world of intimidating coding forums and unfair anger toward those of us who are trying to learn. If you're new to Unity and feel intimidated as I do, well, this podcast is for you. If you're old to Unity and you're looking to help motivate some noobs, this podcast is also for you. Now, if you're looking to troll, please don't. That's just mean. I'll never know the answer to your three riddles, so I'll never cross your bridge, so please just stop pestering me. And I'll also never rub your colorful hair and make a wish on you. And those are the only troll stereotypes I can think of. I'm sure there's more of them out there. Now, I say welcome back, but do I really know that you listened to episode one? That's pretty presumptuous of me. Maybe you just don't know how numbers work. Huh? If so, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this podcast is about a computer program which... Though I'm new to learning the program, does deal considerably with numbers. Uh, perhaps try a Numbers for Beginners podcast. That probably exists, right? Ah, and what about that music, right? You may hear some piano music in the background. You are very observant. Or can you be observant when it's just your ears? Are you ear-observant? I don't know. I'm already off the rails with this episode. I guess I'm not Ruby. <laughs> Programming joke number two. Ruby on Rails is a program or something, I don't know, but since when has knowing something been a prerequisite for humor based on that thing? Do you think Dennis Miller knew all about that crap he talked about during his routines? Of course not! And for those of you who don't know who Dennis Miller was, he was a comedian who sometimes said funny things, I think. I don't know if they were funny or not. He would just use these very elaborate and arcane references, and when you were with other people, you'd laugh because you assumed that what he was saying was funny, even if you didn't get it, and you didn't want to be the person in the room not laughing. But if we could all just agree that he makes no sense, uh, then none of us would have to put on these airs. So, in summary, Dennis Miller, probably not funny. But again, none of us can prove it. So for those of you who aren't entirely lost yet at this point, and if my introduction to the podcast didn't uh, make sense, I am just starting out coding, uh, very, very, very new, um, and I decided to start with a Unity uh, coding course because I really want to create video games, and the course I'm taking is called um, Learn to Code by Making Games, the Complete Unity Developer, I believe it's called. You can see it from, uh, it's a Udemy course, so you can go to udemy.com slash unity course, one word. And, uh, and and learn all about it. It's taught by Ben Tristam and Bryce Fernandez, and it's really good so far. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it, and this podcast will be my journey through that. The podcast will definitely come from a beginner's perspective, so if you are advanced with Unity, then probably not a podcast for you, although if you forgot what it's like to be new to this whole thing, listen to it. You might have some fun with it. Uh, I've First of all, I've, I've had some great, great, great feedback from the first episode. It, I, I really, really, really appreciate it. I've received more positive feedback than really I, I ever thought that I would. Um, and I have to thank everyone out there who has subscribed already. It's strange, with one episode I already have half as many subscribers as 
uh, my most popular podcast, which is the Important Question Podcast. So either I'm doing something right with the Deaf Duck podcast, or I am doing something terribly wrong with Important Question podcast. But I'm going to continue to do something terribly wrong because me and my friend Gordon Highland have a lot of fun doing that podcast. Uh, so some of the feedback that I've received so far, one, uh, most of it's been extremely positive. Um, the only negative comment, or I guess uh, comment that it wasn't worded negatively, but it was just a comment on uh, the opinion that I ramble a lot uh, through episode one. And I would have to say that I disagree with that. I, it's a stylistic choice to be more conversational. I think there's a definitely a difference between being random, being, there's definitely a difference between rambling and articulating diversions, which is, I think, what I was doing in the first podcast. And, and the first podcast also was entirely about me. It was right in the title. It was about me and why I care about unity. So uh, I, I will agree, though, that I do venture off uh, off of the projected path of my topics, though um, I never, at least not yet anyway, stay off of those paths. I always come back to it. Plus, I hope that my lack of too many ums and ahs and other verbal fillers make those diversions more tolerable, right? And humor helps, too. I hope I'm delivering that. Other feedback I've received, uh, a lot of it from Reddit. I love Reddit. Uh, so I've got some great responses to the first episode over there in the Unity 3D subreddit. So check it out if you haven't. Uh, it's just a lot of really good conversations going on over there. So thank you to everyone who has left me some great, great feedback there. It's good to know that I'm not the only newbie out there who's intimidated by traditional programming forums and also intimidated by just simply not knowing enough to even be part of those forums, even if they wanted to be and weren't intimidated by them, or at least by the personalities behind a lot of them. I also received a really great blog comment from a person who goes by the name GB on my episode one uh, blog post. You can find that at calebjross.com. Uh, it was basically something written from the perspective of, of me. It felt like it was me. Uh, a lot of similarities there with the idea of being new to Unity, being new to coding, being in my 30s. Uh, and so it was really nice to see. It's good to know that I'm connecting with people in some way out there. Lastly, I have also received uh, a recommendation by Redditor. I want to say Menta7 or Mentat, maybe. Uh, maybe it's a Fallout reference. I'm not sure. Uh, they uh, That person suggests the book Teach Yourself Unity in 24 Hours, which sounds like an awesome book. I've also heard that it really helps to uh, be a little bit knowledgeable when it comes to C Sharp and other coding before you dive into that book. But it's definitely one that's going on my to-read list. So thank you very, very much for me. Now... That may have felt like a lot of rambling there, and uh, I apologize if it if it did sound that way. What I want to do with these episodes is I want do want to lay out an agenda at the beginning of every episode, so those of you listening can get a good sense of what it is that we will be talking about, that I will be talking about. So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about my progress, uh, with specifically with the course uh, that I mentioned earlier, but also my progress just in general when it comes to coding and when it comes to uh, C Sharp. I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've learned so far based off of those courses. And for anyone not enrolled in that course, that's totally fine. Um, what I've learned is probably going to be very, very relevant to any coding conversation that you might find yourself in or any coding class that you might have or any coding forum. I hope that what I'm learning will be uh, applicable there as well. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the difficulties I've had. Again, not specifically with the course, but just in coding and C Sharp in general. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what I need from you out there listening, what would really help me to keep me motivated. And that'll probably be it. Uh, and then I will uh, shut this microphone off. I'll go have a drink and I'll probably uh, watch a few tutorials and then pass out. That'll be really fun, right? So first, the progress. What progress have I made? Well, uh, I did complete uh, lecture 37. 
and I did upload my Text Adventure 101 game. Uh, you can find that if you would like to at calebjross.com slash text 101. Uh, all one word, text 101 technically. Uh, and I don't know how much longer it's going to be up there. I think it's on a limited amount of time, 30 days since when it was posted, so probably like 25 more days or so. Very, very simple game. For those of you not enrolled in the, in the course, it's uh, a very simple text adventure game. Basically, uh, you, you have a story, you have key codes, uh, key code press of, of letters correlate with which direction or path that you are taking as a, a as a as an assumed character, as the, the royal you or the royal I in this situation. So uh, just like any other text adventure game that you've probably played a million times before, of course, on a much, much, much smaller scale. Uh, we learned about uh, the we, we learned about just inputs uh, and how to create inputs. We learned a little bit about how to organize code, which I think is going to become extremely important, especially as programs become more and more involved. You're really going to have to learn how to code things. And uh, I spoke spoke with some of my uh, some of my coworkers who are web developers, and they they talk about um, almost like a coding bible or, or, or a set of coding, I don't know what the word they used for it was, not ethics, but that sort of thing where if you have pl many developers working on a single system, you want to make sure that all of those developers are working on the same uh, a type of code uh, or the same, uh, they're, they're structuring their own code in, in, in a very similar and consistent way, which to me, you know, it, it sounds obvious, of course, but then it also implies the idea that there are so many ways to code games, and that's something I'm going to look, uh, I'm going to speak a little bit about uh, in the next section of this podcast, the what I've learned so far section. So it's, it's just very interesting to me. Um, my, my text adventure game, you know, I, I want to, as I complete these lessons, I want to hopefully create some, some something a little bit creative with each one. I want to do something a little bit above and beyond. And in this case, what I did was I, I learned about how to change the, the scene or the camera color for each uh, for each method I want to say it's called uh, still working on the terminology but each time that there's a, a basically a new state that's initiated not initiated I know that's not the right word each time there's a new state that's called um, the scene the, the background camera chain color will change accordingly uh, and what I wanted to do was create sort of a, a colder hotter uh, treasure hunt type of game where the, the closer you get to the end gold, in goal, the, the more red the background becomes, the further away you get from it, the more blue it becomes. Ideally, I would have loved to do something cool with transitions and actually animate that transition and show that transition from blue to red. But right now, it's just uh, individual solid colors. And because there's so f so few screens involved, it, it's not very obvious that it's changing. It looks like it's almost just kind of an arbitrary change from a blue to a red rather than gradients in between, which would have been a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit uh, more obvious, I think. But I did have a lot of fun with it. It, it. it is satisfying to find the solution to something uh, on your own. Uh, and, I ha and I'm learning more and more that that's a very standard thing with developers. Uh, part of the comment that uh, GB, who I mentioned earlier, left in my blog post was a concern, it sounded like, a concern that he or she, I'm not sure, will never uh, learn everything, will never be able to memorize the the classes, for example, or never be able to memorize the, uh, the various pieces of code that need that you need to create to build larger code. And and uh, I, I, so I so I researched this a little bit and I, I thought, you know, is that a concern that that developers have? And it turns out that it's 
it's not so much a concern that developers have, it's simply a fact of life with developers. You're never going to learn all of this code. So I read a few uh, blog posts, uh, one that was really, really good about uh, a developer who asks the question, am I, am I a good coder or am I just really good at using Google? And that was an interesting way of, of phrasing it is that you're always having to reference a database or you're always having to reference um, some external source in order to create your own code. I've also read a lot of stories about people who will, you know, g developers who save their own code that they've created, even if they feel like they'll never need it again, they save it because if they ever do need it, it's much easier to go back to it and try to rebuild it from scratch. Things can get very complex very quickly. In fact, a book that uh, was very popular a couple years ago and that I highly recommend for everyone, it's not related to coding really at all. It's called Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. And it's about the, uh, it's about Wall Street flash trading and flash trading. I won't get to exactly what it is, but the, the book, uh, focuses for a little bit on the person who was responsible for creating the code that allowed Wall Street to basically subvert everyday traders and, and allow certain people to make a ton of money, um, on, on, in, the, in the stock market. And the guy who created this code, uh, ended up keeping the code that he created. Uh, he actually leveraged open source code to initially create the code. So he just kept a copy of it on a flash drive. And he he ultimately got in a lot of trouble for doing that. And that he ultimately almost became the figurehead for that whole Wall Street uh, flash trading problem. He, he was sort of the guy who went to the execution block when it really wasn't entirely his fault. He was just the guy coding this stuff. There was actually other people that were manipulating things and telling him what to code. And, and he was like, I'm just a developer, just coding it. You, you tell me what you needed to do and I'll do it. And so that was his role, but he kind of took the heat for it. Um, and it wasn't really fair because what it boiled down to was that the judges in the case, the judges who sentenced him, didn't understand enough about the world or the culture of coding to know that what he was doing wasn't really all that strange. Coders take their own code and keep archives of their own code all the time. And that's sad, but it it was it just struck me as 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 pretty pretty interesting, actually. So um I am currently, just to rein this back in, I am currently at lecture 47. Um and that that uh, text adventure was 37, so I'm about 10 lectures after 37 at 47. Yeah, that's that's math for you, everyone. So what have I learned so far? about this course. Well, I've already mentioned the idea that developers have their own ways to solve problems. Uh, that's very interesting to me. It, it, it speaks to the creative nature of coding, even though there's so much math involved and so much precision involved, it just speaks to the creative nature. You could have, you could give 10 developers a single task and those 10 developers will find 10 different ways to complete that task. And none of those ways are necessarily wrong. So that, that's very interesting to me. Uh, I, I read an article a, a few months ago, and I tried like hell to find this article again because it was so good. I wanted to post it in the show notes, but I could not find it. If anyone out there listening can find it, please let me know. Uh, it was an article uh, that gave a percentage, something like 42%. And, and this percentage um, spoke to the number of problems that are new to developers. So basically... Anytime a developer is given a, a problem, there's a 42% chance that that's a problem that developer has never seen before. And that goes across all developers, even developers who have been who have been doing it for decades. And that just goes to show a few things. It goes to show, one, how huge the world of coding is and how many different ways there are to code things and how many different problems and, and, and apps and everything there are out there. There's not one universal system. And it goes to show how creative developers need to be. If, if they're always 
thrown new issues and new problems that they'd never encountered before, but yet they still have to find a way to fix it, to remedy it, to uh, create the solution that their employer is asking for. That That's incredibly uh, interesting to me. That's incredibly uh, important and special, I think, in the world of coding. So that's something I really look forward to actually doing the more I get into this whole world of coding. Um, the other thing I learned that was very important was the right way to ask questions. Seems simple enough, but uh, Ben and Bryce, uh, the instructors for the course that I'm taking, they spend a good amount of time detailing how you should ask questions in the forums when you have an issue, when you have a problem with the code that you're trying to create. And it's 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 so, uh, you know, working again, going back to my day job, I do work with developers. I'm not a developer, but I definitely see people asking them questions in ways that would infuriate me if I were a developer. Uh, you know, if you're clicking on a link, for example, on a website, and that link is supposed to turn red when you click on it, uh, but it doesn't, and maybe that link also doesn't open up uh, the pane that it's supposed to open up. I don't know. And I see people who will just simply send a message over to developers and say, hey, this link is broken. They may include a screenshot good for them. But this link being broken, what exactly does that mean? And that's where uh, asking the right questions comes into play. Because from a developer standpoint, what you need in order to solve that problem is not only what's broken, but you need to really explain what it was that you expected to happen. So in this case, I expected the link to turn red. And I or I expected the text specifically to turn red. And I expected a new pane to pop up. Uh, leading me to that, to that, uh, to the basically the destination of that URL. Those are what I expected. Those things did not happen. Also, what are the steps to recreate that? Now, you might think that the, there's only one step: click on the link. Well, maybe not necessarily. What the person who's having the problem needs to do is to be able to replicate it. Because if it only happened once and it never happens again, that in and of itself is incredibly important information for the developer to have. That's an entirely different. Uh, place that they're going to be looking to try to solve that issue. And that's incredibly important to me. And that's definitely something that I will be taking away from that course. And I will be applying to really my daily life, uh, and not just in terms of, of showing problems to developers, but my daily life all over. It's going to be it's going to be great. So I want to move on to uh, what's working for me so far. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, I was at lecture 47 in the course that I'm taking. And there are quite a few more lectures, uh, but what I've done is I've taken a bit of a break because I feel as though if I had a better understanding of C-sharp that I would be probably getting more out of this class. Now, you don't necessarily need to know C-sharp in order to take this class. In fact, Ben and Bryce do a really good job of, of making sure that you don't have to know C-sharp. But for me personally, I feel as though if I understood C-sharp better, specifically just the syntax of C-sharp and the definitions behind terms, I might better be able to follow along and better be able to, to, to create and go above and beyond, like I said, that I like to do. So that's so, so I have taken that step back. And, and what I've done is I've enrolled in a what's called the Microsoft Virtual Academy, which I've never heard of until I did this. Apparently, it's, it's fairly well known. Uh, and there is a series of videos, uh, the C-sharp fundamentals for absolute beginners, instructed by a guy named Robert Tabor. And these videos are amazing. So I'll definitely leave, the sh leave a link in the show notes. Uh, so far, this guy is just really, really great about dumbing everything down and explaining things. He's, he's apparently been an instructor for a good number of years. And he understands the plight of the beginner. And so he takes steps to 
give you the definition of what things are uh, and he doesn't gloss over anything. He doesn't assume anything at all. And it's very, very cool. Um, each video is about 30 minutes long. I think there's like over 400 hours of videos. I could be saying that way wrong, but that's what I think there was. So there's quite a bit of information there. I'm following that along and it's, it's going really, really great. And one of the things that he talked a little bit about, and it's something that I had been thinking about, and I'm really glad that he was able to sort of contextualize that for me, is one of the ways that I'm, I think that is helping me to understand the syntax of C sharp and nearly any programming language is if I compare it to something I know, um, like sentence structure, English sentence structure. So instead of nouns, verbs, and sentences, things like that, you might have to learn about declarations and classes and methods. Those things aren't necessarily uh, parallel, but that's the idea. Uh, one of the examples that, that Robert Tabor uses is the idea of ending every line of C-sharp with a semicolon. And he says that's basically the same as uh, his quote exactly was, just like a properly formed English sentence must finish with punctuation, C-sharp code has to conclude with punctuation, in this case a semicolon. And when you learn that, you, you sort of realize, oh, you know, programming language isn't really that dissimilar from, from what I know. It's really just learning the parts and knowing how to piece them together, very similar to how you would learn a language. Uh, something that's helped me out with this understanding is a, a an article online, I'll link to it in the show notes, called Syntax and Context, Grammar and Programming. And it's another, it, it goes a little bit deeper into that idea of what Robert Tabor had there to help you understand things. Uh, so knowing the relationship between coding syntax and English language syntax, actually, it makes it feel a little bit less intimidating because at first I was approaching coding as something completely foreign, a completely different concept entirely. But now that I approach it as, as a language, um, I actually feel kind of ahead of the game, right? Because I know English and if coding is a mix of English words, which it is, and some space language that I don't understand, which it is, um, at least I'm not being thrown into just a space language, right? I'm being thrown into something that also contains hints of my own language that I do understand. That's super, super helpful. Uh, along these same lines, I found another article called Three Myths of Learning Programming Language that actually contradicts this idea a little bit. It, it goes into the idea that, that you know, language uh, coding isn't a completely foreign language. It, it's actually, in, in a lot of ways, very similar to English. Um, more so than in the ways that I had just elaborated upon or that I just discussed. So that's really cool too. I'll definitely put that article in the show notes as well. I've also been listening to a lot of development podcasts. Uh, I, it's true when I listen to these, I feel lost 99% of the time. Uh, but every once in a while, I hear a word that I recognize. And it reorients me to the conversation and it sort of reinvigorates me to learn. And each immersion session tends to cut back on the 99% ignorance a few decimal points of a percentage each time. So in other words, uh, I, I am very confused when I listen to these development podcasts. Very, very confused. They're, they're intermediate, advanced level things that I just don't understand. The hosts are speaking literally a different language. I, I don't grasp it. But every once in a while, they will say something like class, or they will say something like, you know, uh, declaration or, or um, initi initialization or something like that, that I'm like, oh, I know what that word is at least. And so it does, it, it, like I said earlier, it reorients me to the conversation just a little bit. And so each time I listen to a different development podcast after having gone through a few lessons on, on uh, you know, C-sharp basics, 
I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to kind of understanding uh, what they're talking about. And it's it's encouraging in a way, you know, it's almost like a point system. Every time I, I recognize a new word, I can add a point to my to my list. It's very uh, interesting and it's something I highly recommend. It's, it's working out for me quite a bit. Um, the other thing, and this one is specifically for the course, or really probably any course that you're taking, but uh, for this Unity course that I'm taking, what I do is I watch the videos before I even open up uh, open up Unity. Um, I watch the videos from beginning to end. In a lot of cases, I'll watch four or five or six videos without ever opening Unity. It, you know, I just want to listen for a while, right? It's it's similar to listening to the development podcast. I'm going to be lost, right? I'm going to, and it's okay to be lost, and that's that's freeing to know that it's okay to be lost. But then when I rewatch the videos a second time while I'm building, it, everything is a lot smoother. You know, it, it, watching them a second time prevents me from having to uh, uh, simply mime the work on the videos rather than actually learning it. If, if you're trying to do both, if you're trying to actually implement the code and listen to them explain the code and what they're doing, you're not paying attention to either one very well. It's that whole myth of being able to multitask. Multitasking isn't a thing. People can just be very good at switching tasks. Uh, but even if you're very good at switching tasks, what that means by its very nature is that you're never focused 100% on each of those tasks. And when you're doing something as uh, as foreign a concept as coding is to, to myself and to probably most of you listening, it's very important that you pay 100% full attention to the video. So I highly, highly recommend that you watch the videos first, watch a bundle of them, five, six, seven of them at a time before you even open up your Unity program. It's also nice too, because then I can watch those videos when I'm standing in line somewhere, or I can watch them, you know, when I'm going to the bathroom or something and not really have to feel as though I have to have my computer open. It's really good just to get familiar with the concepts before you even open Unity. Highly, highly recommended. Um, and I think that's it for this podcast, for this episode. Um, one thing, uh, so my, the last portion is what do I need from you? Uh, the biggest thing I need from you out there listening is correct me, correct me where I, where I got something wrong. Um, any of you out there who are either new developers or you've been in it a while, it doesn't matter if, if you know that I've said something wrong, definitely correct me, especially when it comes to terminology. That's my biggest hurdle right now is really understanding all of the different terminology at play. So that would be very, very helpful. If you have any good resources for beginners, please let me know. I'll be sure to share those on the podcast as well. Um, and also share this podcast uh, with people who are also in the same boat as you, who are uh, learning things or just interested in hearing someone like me ramble on and on and on about uh, about learning Unity and learning C Sharp. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe. Hey, I'm on iTunes now. That's pretty cool. You can just go to iTunes, type in the Deaf Duck Podcast. Otherwise, just go to calebjross.com and you'll see plenty of things on my, that website that will direct you to where to listen to the Deaf Duck Podcast. Until next time, I don't know what to say at the end. <laughs>